talk about why you would choose the speed light for your portraits over a natural light option. Um, I think for me, it's it's the ability to effectively be able to de- deliver a result regardless of the conditions. It's its ability to uh, create, like I said, to deliver a result regardless of the situation that you're actually in. It's, it's a tool in the box that I know that if the natural light's not going to deliver the result, I can still bring out some speed lights and get the picture. That's right. Today, we're going to learn speed lights. Hi there, Canon friends. Welcome to the EOS Photographer Podcast. If you are learning photography using your Canon gear, you're in the right place. Here, we speak with great photographers and extract practical lessons for you. From Rebels to 5Ds, the gear you own is the gear we'll feature. Now here's your host, Linford Morton. Hi there. Welcome to the EOS Photographer Podcast, episode 121. This is Lynn, and I have a very special guest for you today. Now, if you're a natural light photographer, but only because you're afraid of speed lights, then fear no more. Brian Worley is going to simplify it all for you. Brian is a former product manager at Canon Europe who's carved out a niche for himself photographing portraits with speed lights. Now, I know that's one of the topics that can seem intimidating to many photographers, but Brian is not only technical, but he has a way of making it simple. By the end of this episode, I hope you'll be motivated to take a speed light or two out to see what you can create. That's right. Today, we're going to learn speed lights. The American playwright Tennessee Williams famously said, America has only three cities, New York, San Francisco, and New Orleans. Everywhere else is Cleveland. Well, we're going to be going on a four-day workshop to one of those three, New Orleans, to one of the more culturally rich cities in America. It's known for food, music, architecture, culture, and we are going to immerse ourselves in photographing all these facets and more. So we'll do food photography. We'll be dining and photographing at a French Quarter restaurant right there in Jackson Square that celebrates the fine Creole cuisine and culture of New Orleans. We'll do live music photography and we'll photograph live music in one of the city's iconic venues. And then we'll also go up to Treme to another one of the iconic venues if you follow that show on HBO. And we'll get two different styles of live music. We'll do portrait photography in one of the distinct cemeteries. You know, they bury above ground there and the cemeteries have a, have a really sort of an interesting dynamic look and you can contrast it well in a portrait setting. 
We'll do travel photography and tell stories about the St. Charles Avenue and the iconic streetcars down in, in uptown New Orleans, as we call it. We'll do street photography and you'll capture the energy of Jackson Square in the French Quarter. We're going to do all this and more. And you'll have a wide range of different genres, yet an overall really capturing the essence of an American city. If you really want to to fill up your portfolio with lots of great images of an American city, this is one of the ones you're going to want to do. It's four days, and we're going to be photographing everything from March 12th to March 15th. It's completely worry-free because we take care of the food, lodging, and transportation while you're there. It's going to be a wonderful experience. I'm teaching it with Freddie Clark of Santee Photo Photography. He is an amazing beverage and food photographer, as well as an all-around te- you know, technician with photography and a great teacher as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You can go to NOLA2020, nola twenty twenty dot eosphotographer.com. I'll also have a link to it on the show notes. When you get started with speed lights, there are so many decisions on camera or off optical or radio one flash or many fill or key and on and on, and fortunately for us, we have the man who's been going deep with Canon products for almost 25 years. He's a former product manager for Canon Europe and still works with them on a contract basis. If you've ever read the UK photography magazines like Photo Plus, you've probably read his words. Well, today we get to pick his brain on speed lights. I'm talking with Brian Worley about everything you need to get started and get going with Speedlights. All right, here I am with Brian Worley over in the UK. Brian, are you? Yes, that's correct. I'm over in Oxfordshire, just outside London. Ah, beautiful. And we're going to talk about using Speedlights for portraits because you're one of the foremost experts on that. Why don't you just tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be an expert in this area. Okay. So I spent a long time. I worked for Canon Europe. I was their product manager there. And then about nine years ago, I choose to go out and become a freelance trainer, photographer, helping people use their camera systems. And I also then realized that I actually needed to build my own skills more with speed light flash. So although I have great depth of Canon technical skills, it was to me was, okay, I needed to understand lighting a lot. And so I Mm -hmm. looked to other people and the other photographers and the way they lit their subjects, their scenes. And I kind of studied light as much as the technical side, because to me, the technical side was something I could do anyway. And Mm -hmm. then I found that I I kind of the subjects that I really liked to light when ultimately that became people and portraits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that that's where I kind of started down a journey of, okay, how am I going to light things? Right. So, so, but so tell me, because, you know, there are a lot of photographers who will say, you know, I'm a natural light photographer and I much prefer natural light. You let's, let's, 
Talk about why you would choose the speed light for your portraits over a natural light option. Um, I think for me, it's it's the ability to effectively be able to de- deliver a result regardless of the conditions. Mm-hmm. So I've I actually had a, a a client came to me and who was a photographer himself, and he came to me and said, "I'm predominantly a natural light photographer." You know, right. And his idea of natural light photography was he would use a reflector on some shots. Mm-hmm. One of his own clients had booked him to deliver a, a shoot and it was going to be indoors and it was going to be fairly dimly lit and he needed to light it. And he didn't really understand how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so he came to me and said, look, I know this is what the kind of thing you do. Can you help me out and actually help me deliver this project for my client? And so to me, it's its ability to uh, create, like I said, to deliver a result regardless of the situation that you're actually in. It's, it's a tool in the box that I know that if the natural light's not going to deliver the result, I can still bring out some speed lights and get the picture. That's that's great. That's a great way to think about it. I remember when I was at Canon, one of our instructors used to say, if you're a working photographer, you no longer have to wait for the golden hour. You can now earn money any time of the day or evening. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and, it, and, it, and it is that, uh, you know, it gives you, empowers you as a, as a photographer because you can set the light as you need to mm-hmm. make your clients look good, to make the products look good. And that that's the key. That's a key ski skill. I mean, photography is all about painting with light. So I right. liken the speed light as having an extra paintbrush in your pocket. Ah, I like that. I like that a lot. An extra paintbrush. Okay, so you are choosing your speed lights now. You, you've decided. Okay, I want to go with speed lights there's the the a number of options now once you open that you know can of worms <laughs> on camera off camera like you know where does one begin okay so to me i think the the key is is to have um, many of the EOS cameras have a built-in flash so mm-hmm. the built-in flash is okay for subject reasonably close but it's in itself the light is physically very small and it's also quite close to the lens. And it comes from exactly the same direction as you're pointing the camera. So therefore, it's not the most flattering on most subjects. Mm-hmm. And to make the light look interesting and more flattering to subjects, realistically, the light has to come from a different direction. And ideally, if you want to make a softening effect, you need to make that light source bigger, physically bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that comes by modifiers, by bouncing off of surfaces. And at that point, you're into, okay, I need to have a flash where I can at least adjust the position of the head. Mm-hmm. And that brings you into something like, uh, you know, the 430 type flash guns where you've got a head which will bounce and swivel. So you can point that around, bounce it off of ceilings, bounce it off of walls behind you. Mm-hmm. Of course, there is a clever flash, the 470, which will do a lot of that automatic bounce technology, and it and it works really well in a, a good in a reasonable set of conditions. But you need either a wall behind you, a reasonably low ceiling, in order for it to be clever enough to work effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, and this is just working with the flash on the camera. Right. As soon as you start to think, okay, what about if I move that flash and bring it to a, a different position so that my light comes from a different direction? And now you, you have two effects. One is is you can create light to suit, to suit your subject comes from a direction that you've chosen to suit the product, to suit whatever you're photographing. But also you can choose um, the intensity of that light and you can control where it doesn't light and how it gives shadows. Mm-hmm. And those shadows help give dimensionality, like three-dimensionality to your to your to whatever you're photographing. If the mm-hmm. light's really flat, the subject looks flat. If the light comes at an angle, it creates highlights and shadows and that gives texture and detail and depth to your pictures. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So with your 430 or the, your 600s, now you you are moving them off of the camera and uh, controlling it with another one on the camera itself. Yeah, so I'm, right. I tip, I'm typically I'm using uh, the Speedlight Transmitter, the STE3RT, um, to control one or more flash away from the, which are located away from the camera. And right. um, I've been doing that pretty much since the system came out because I'd worked previously with the uh, the older optical wireless triggers, and it was okay, but in brighter conditions, the range mm-hmm. was very limited, and it was quite hit and miss as to whether you'd actually get the signal from a, a flash on the hot shoe to be received by a flash that's you know a few yards away. Right. Or even hidden behind your subject or something well, like I'm that. Over a crazy one, which is I once tried to take some pictures of a specific mushroom that's on a tree branch. So it's a okay. kind of a very unusual. And I, the, the best way to do this is to light them from behind. Mm-hmm. But in order to get the light to f- trigger my flash, which was behind the tree branch, I ended up using a series of reflectors to bounce the beam of light round a tree oh my to, to trigger the light, the flash that was behind the branch. <laughs> <laughs> How long would it take to set that up? My goodness. Yeah. So whereas now, lots of experimenting. Yeah. yeah so now it's just you put it with radio. It's just going to work. Right. Right. Yeah. That I think that's the beauty of the Canon system. Now. Um, you were telling me before we started recording how you use the 430 in place of the STE3. Yeah. So to RT. me, the 430 RT is is a great uh, first uh, flash. If you think that. A little bit of adding a bit of light to your pictures is what you want to do. Then a 430 Mark III RT is a great first step because it gives you the ability to take that flash off the camera, but it also can be used as the base for a bigger system because you can use it on the camera and it can act as a radio controller to send the radio signals out to any remote flashes you've got. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, I use my 430 as a little bit as a kind of backup to an STE3 because it's a little bit bigger and heavier than an STE3, but actual fact, it's usually cheaper to buy. Right, right. I was looking here in the United States and it's about $120, $130 it's cheaper. Sim- it's about similar kind of price in pounds over here, the difference between them, yes. Yeah, 130 so, bucks, right. Yeah. And then you've got to consider that a lot of the cameras, so that's kind of the mainstream Rebel cameras or we call the 800D sort of type cameras over here. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got the 60D, 70D, 80D, 90D, the 7D Mark IIs, all of those kind of cameras. The built-in flash 
can act as a controller in itself, can be set up as a transmitter. That's right. And so if you've got a 430, okay, you're going to use optical to send the commands to it, but now you've got a way of using that 430 off camera. Mm. So as a first step, you buy one flash. If you've got the right, you've got the camera with the built-in transmitter anyway, you're good to go to start experimenting with off-camera flash. Good. So now... That's beautiful. And now there are a number of conditions where you would be using this. Uh, So maybe you can just just talk about when you would want to shoot with this, um, with the speed light. So are you adding, using it as a primary light source? Are you filling with it? Or are you... Uh, let's I think, talk through that okay, if you don't mind. So for me, it's 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 a mix. It depends a little bit. Sometimes the light that you go into an environment and the light that's there is fabulous. And in that case, you know, the speed light, you know, I was, these days actually I ask myself sometimes, is it actually necessary? And quite often you can do something additional with this. And to mm-hmm. my own to one of the I guess one of the greatest exponents of this is if you watch some of the work of Joe McNally. And whilst mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he produces fabulous pictures almost by by default, but what right. I like about the way he works is his kind of main light on the subject. It goes up and he puts it on. He goes, that's the main light sorted out. And then he spends time finessing other light right. to light bits of the scene behind bits of, oh, that shadow needs to be lifted up here. And I liked that way of just like effectively painting with light in different bits of the picture where He's got an initial picture. If that's all he can get, he's got one, which is a straightforward version with one light. But then by adding additional lights, you bring a different depth, a different quality to the work that takes it mm-hmm. beyond just a, a simple picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I will use a flash very much as sometimes it's a main light. You know, if mm-hmm. I'm in an environment where it's fairly dim and I'll I'll use the flash predominantly as a main light because it gives good quality of light on my subject. And I'm not worried about bringing, raising the ISO setting of my camera to let some more of the available light sort of build up in my picture. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it doesn't have to be an equal balance of daylight or of ambient light and flash, but they need to be reasonably close. Otherwise, you get this very kind of harsh flashed look to pictures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then other times, to me, the, the the flash is simply an accent light, and it could be as simple as I really need some light to give a, a bit of light through the hair of somebody, or to kind of give a little bit of an edge to them, and I can use a flash somewhere behind them, and it's just going to give me a, a just a sharper edge, and their mm-hmm. face could be lit by sunlight, daylight, whatever. Hmm. Now. When you're shooting, are you typically using the TTL function, the through the lens automatic function, or do you use manual control? So, uh, to be honest with you, most of the time I'll start off with TTL. Mm -hmm. So, I found that particularly as the cameras have got a more recent camera, so anything from about five, so 2012 afterwards, the the accuracy of ETTL has got significantly better. And almost mm-hmm. every year a new camera comes out and the performance of that camera in terms of how its metering system measures flash and controls the flashes seems to step forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, ETTL will do a good job much of the time. 
the key that I discussed that I kind of found at my for my own stuff was that if the, the way the system works is effectively it sends a pre-flash, which is about one thirty second of full power. Mm-hmm. So if you just put your flash into manual, stick it onto one thirty second of power and take a picture based on in whatever conditions you're in. If you can see no real difference in the result, it means that TTL will also have real problems finding a difference. I'm sorry, say that again. So I find that using setting my my speed light to one thirty uh-huh. second of power in a manual mode. Okay. All right. If you take a picture with the flash at that one thirty second of power, if there's no real difference in how it looks under the light that's there, the ambient light, different from when they're without a flash. Yes. So you okay. so effect because the way the TTL works is it takes a view of the scene without the flash and then it fires a pre-flash and it looks at where that pre-flash illuminates bits of the picture and but, Got it. and so I'm doing that to, as a judgment of will TTL work because if it if mm. I can see some difference with it at one thirty second of power the camera will be able to see the difference and TTL will work quite effectively. Mm-hmm. And so that means sometimes in in actual fact in daylight in brighter conditions, I'll group two or three speed lights together in the same group, treated mm-hmm. so effectively I'm raising the power. So that means that my one thirty second of pre flash, even though each flash is set to one thirty second, is now becoming one sixteenth. So it's a bit brighter pre flash. That's easier for the camera to see it in brighter daylight. Okay. And then, so I get more consistency out of TTL flash if I put two flashes into a softbox in daylight. Ah, uh, okay. Because okay. I've increased the power of the pre-flash effectively. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but there are times, so I also know that if you point a flash back in towards the camera, so if it's behind your subject and it's aiming back towards the camera's direction, then it's really hit and miss with TTL as to whether the camera's going to control that exactly as you want frame after frame. And that's an example where I, so like hair lights, anything behind the subject aimed back towards the camera, I'll put that flash in manual. Now, why is that? Why would it be hit and miss under that condition? So usually it depends if you've got a, a live subject, you've got a person and you're photographing and they're a, because the amount of light that catches the edge of a person is quite small. So it's usually right. quite hard for the camera to see that small amount of light. Mm-hmm. But it also, it depends if the person moves position, where it's lighting the frame changes. Right. So what I find is, is that I'll put a flashback there and I'll stick it, I'll put it into a manual power and I'll dial in the power level, have a quick look, take a few test shots, give me something that looks correct. And then I can use a, a light on the front of them in TTL using the, say, the group mode on the radio system, and now it will work quite happily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So then that one's in manual, and then you can use the... The main light on the on the front of the subject in TTL. In TTL. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, shooting in daylight yeah. and also trying to get... A shallow depth of field used to be next to impossible, but these days, do you do much of that? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, daylight over here tends to be a little bit darker than perhaps Californian daylight. Um, (laughs) But um, the reality is, is that 
to over to get more power out of the system you just you kind of need to you typically end up with more flash guns right. uh, you know to increase the combined power so i if you shoot with a wide open aperture you want to balance against the, the daylight typically you start to run into the limit of the sync speed on your camera so that's a 200th 250th of a second Mm-hmm. And to go beyond that, you start to need high-speed sync. High-speed sync, right. And so the high-speed sync, actually, it treats the flash tube rather than like a, a single pulse of bright light. It it pulses the flash tube to achieve like a long burn. Mm-hmm. It's only got the same energy stored in the actual flash. And because it's over a greater time, the brightness is less. So when you go to high-speed sync, you're shutter speed every time you increase the shutter speed by a stop you pretty much reduce the flash power by a stop mm-hmm. so this means that your sync speed say a 200th of a second when you get to a 400th your flash is now half the power it was at a 200th you go mm-hmm. to an 800th and it's now a quarter of the power and that's why you'd need to that's why you start to need multiple flash multiple flashes right or just wear your batteries out okay um and and that's a you know fairly easy you know enabling high speed sync is i found fairly easy on the the, the 600 yeah. version 2s um you want to talk about that at all so yeah i mean to me I, obviously if you're working with the flashes you know controlled from a, a transmitter whether it's an optical one or a radio one these days you only need to set the high speed sync on the actual transmitter or the flash that's on the camera because that will then inform all the remote flashes they need to be in high-speed sync mode. Mm-hmm. And I often find that I invariably leave my transmitter set to high-speed sync, knowing that if I'm shooting and I need that high-speed sync, the camera's going to go, my shutter speed can go beyond the sync speed of the camera. But So, so just, just, okay, that's, Make sure I, I'm understanding what you're saying here. You're leaving it uh, in high speed sync mode because if you move beyond the 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 let's say two fiftieth of a second or one twenty fifth, then it will kick in. But if you don't, it will not. Correct. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. So if the shutter speed of your camera is less than the sync speed, then mm-hmm. the, ca- the flashes will work normal mode. But if the say you're using aperture priority and it gets a little bit brighter, so the shutter speed comes up, mm-hmm. then the, the flash system would switch into high-speed sync mode without you having to do anything. Interesting. I had not heard that one. The only downside of that is that if you were really pushing the flash very hard, sort of at or below the sync speed, as soon mm-hmm. as you go into high-speed sync, you start to run out of flash power because mm-hmm. the, 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 the power starts to reduce. That's right. That's right. Interesting. So now, when you are not using, when you are not using, um, I'm sorry, the TTL mode, let's yep. say now you are, you know, you're back and you are trying to take more control of the scene. Mm-hmm. And now you you want to control the, the ambient light as opposed to the light on your subject. And you can do that. Um, go ahead. Yeah. So for me, that means, I mean, I'd say I'm predominantly used manual exposure on the camera. Right. Um, in virtually every condition. 
And so to me, that means I'm thinking about how do I want the ambient light to look? And usually when I'm working with a speed light, almost before I start switching the speed lights on, I'll take, I'll work out how I want the light that's existing there, the ambient light that's existing in my scene to be looking. And mm-hmm. I'll do, and I can do that by looking at the meter, dialing in some shutter speed, some aperture, some ISO settings, take a quick frame and say, okay, that's how it looks before I add light. Mm-hmm. And so if my subject's dark, that's fine because I'm going to light them with some flash, but it's the space behind them or elsewhere in the frame that I'm actually concentrating on at that point. So I'll, and because I've set it in manual, that's going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. And then I can switch the flash on, whether it's in TTL or whether I'm actually manually controlling the power of the flash. And now I can light my subject kind of independently. Okay. So you're exposing for the background. Yeah. And once you get the background the way you want it to look, then you then add your speed light. Yep. Okay. And, inv- and frequently and you can do that in TTL mode and it and yeah. it will still exactly keep the background the so, way you want. So you can, so you can exactly exactly that. So I mean, that's one of the things that I quite often see in workshops is people have this kind of mental block that you can't have the camera in manual exposure and the flash in automatic in TTL, which mm-hmm. absolutely you can. And I'd say probably 85% of my pictures are shot with exactly that setup. Mm. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah, that's cool. I, and I think I, I, when I was working with um, Rick Salmon, he did a two-minute tutorial where he, he taught just that, um, you know, how to, you know, how to use a speed light in less than two minutes and basically, you know, um, expose for the background, add the speed light, you're done. <laughs> we were done in less than two minutes. <laughs> and, and, it, and, and to me, it, it is that simple, but it often – uh, let's say if you come from a point where you're used to using, say, program exposure or you're used to aperture priority to, to for your daylight or the ambient part of the light, mm-hmm. that now feels like you've got to learn two things. So you've got to learn how to use manual for the daylight part, the ambient part of the picture, and then you've got to learn this all this flash stuff. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that you can use your camera in aperture priority mode with flash. And you can use the expose. So you put the camera in aperture priority mode. You decide much the same how you want the background to look. So if mm-hmm. necessary, you need to dial some exposure compensation in. Maybe you right. want it a little bit darker. You turn the exposure compensation down to the negative okay. side. Mm-hmm. And then switch the flash on. And you've done much the same as I'm doing by using magnet That's exposure. Right. That's right. So, Okay. Because that will still keep the photo there, and then you'll just add add light in with yep. the flash on your subject. Yep. You're making this sound too easy, Brian. Uh, it, it almost makes you feel like um, somewhat of a charlatan, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> this is good. I think the thing um, is, is that the, the reality is, is that once you start to think a little bit about what's going on and have a, a bit of understanding, actual fact, the myths and the mystery of lighting with additional light kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. But it does take a a little bit of bravery perhaps or a little bit of, okay, let me just go and work out. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll create, I'll get a mannequin or something there that's not going to mm-hmm. move, doesn't, doesn't demand coffee breaks or anything. And I can just <laughs> experiment, put that in, in outside, put it indoors, find out how the light is to start with, 
set the camera up, work out how you're going to deal with that, then add the flash to it and just kind of rinse and repeat. So you get that to, so that that's just part of the way you work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, you've, you've got, you know, this technique, you know how it works and you know how to cope with it. And so when you come to do it on a real sub on the real project or the shoot, it just, it goes exactly as you've practiced. Yeah. Excellent. Now, if, before we wrap, do you want to let's go to talk about modifiers at all? Like, yeah. how do you how do you choose your modifiers, and and what do, what are your thoughts there? So, to me, um, I use a, a variety of modifiers. I'm I'm a bit of a, a Manfrotto kind of laster like kind of person, so I use quite a lot mm-hmm. of their modifiers. Um, I'd say go to modifier probably got is a fairly small softbox, so it's a, it's sixty centimeters, so it's about two feet square. Um, and with that particular one, I can put up to two speed lights into it. Go-to modifier? Yeah, that's my kind of main go-to one. So it's a Lasterlight one. It lets me put two speed light flashes into that one. Sure. Um, but then I guess ultimately I, I'm quite happy to use a, 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 a white wall or a neutral colored wall as a modifier. I'm, I know that I can point the speed light where I need it to create a, a pattern of illumination on a, on a surface in a room mm-hmm. and use that as then effective as my modifier. So you don't need to carry, you know, vast amounts of equipment all the time. Simply right. have somebody hold the flash in their hand and say, okay, I need you to point it over there and just hold right. it there while I make the picture because that's going to illuminate a patch on the wall and the patch on the wall that's illuminated is going to illuminate my subject. The voice activated light stand. Is what yeah, we call that. exactly. You know, and or they're, they're great. I mean, I've been out today actually <laughs> doing some tuition with a guy and um, we had a similar kind of thing actually using the sunshine. So we're out in the middle of a city and there's a great light colored wall, brick wall. And I looked at it and thought, that's just an enormous great light source of light. There's sun's illuminating it. So it, the light's mm-hmm. coming bounced off this walls. There's a source of light it would be no difference if I was going to use that same wall in a dark condition, like at night, mm-hmm. I could bounce a flash off of it. Today, I was like bouncing the sunshine off of it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to mm-hmm. achieve a much similar kind of result. Right, right. Interesting. The other, the other one that I really, that I find that people don't think about enough is that the all the the speed like 430s and the 600s, the flash head normally zooms. So when it's on your camera, as you adjust the zoom right. on your lens, the flash head adjusts its coverage to only fill as much light as is necessary that the lens would be able to see. That's right. When you take them away from the camera and you set them up as a, a slave or receiver, then actual fact, they by default, they zoom to their 24 millimeter kind of coverage, which means you've got a great mm-hmm. big wide splash of light. That right. might not always be what you need. Right. You can still go and press the zoom button on that flash once it's away from the camera and zoom the head to give you a different shape of beam of light onto your subject. And it just narrows the And you just narrow beam. it down. I mean, it has a mm-hmm. positive effect, actually, which you've made the flash, because as the, as the beam's narrowed down, the energy is concentrated over a smaller area, so therefore it actually has the effect of making the flash a little bit more powerful. Mm-hmm. So quite often, like I said, for me, for a backlight behind somebody, I might not need it at 24. I might be able to use it at 50 or 70 or 100 millimeters, depending on how far the flashback is. Because you you're narrowing it just for like as just a hair to, light. Yeah. So a bit Got like it. you would with a snooter or a grid in a studio. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You just zoom the flash in. Yes, yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I, I forgot to cover that at altogether. Well, good. What else did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, I think the, the the challenge that most people find is that they go off and they buy equipment and they read, right. they read a little bit about it and they put it on, they make a few test shots and then they kind of put it back in a box and then they go mm-hmm. on onto a shoot or a, an event or something where they think, oh, we're going to need to use that flash. So they get it out and they put it all together, put the batteries in and away they go. But realistically, the way you make this stuff, the whole essence of flash photography easy is doing it repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And that means, I always say to people, practice on stuff that you can repeat. Practice on things that don't matter. Because it's, it's like training for anything. You train, you know, whether you're an athlete, whatever, you train, you put the miles in, you run those races, you do all of those things such that that's how you do it. So that with speed light flash, you do all the practice, you do it away from everybody watching. And when it needs that you come out with the flash guns, it's just doing what you've trained to do. It's right. It's muscle memory then. Yeah. Very good advice. Very good advice. So where do we find your work, Brian? So you can find me um, all over the internet. So I'm, you can find me on my website predominantly, which is p4pictures.com. But you'll also find me on Twitter as at p4pictures and on Instagram at p4pictures. And that's p, the number, the numeral four. Then the numeral four, then pictures as a word, dot com. That's good. What does what that stand? Does that mean, does that so mean I, anything? No, ultimately, it's uh, p is four pictures. <laughs> Keep it simple. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, that that was the one I had, I'd heard at the time, um, but yeah, and it's kind of Very stuck. Good. And and there you you do you have lots of um, you write a lot you train a lot and there's just a a ton of information on on just Canon gear. Yeah. So and learning your Canon gear exactly on, this, so on your site. Obviously, I'm a a bit of a Canon specialist, um, and I'd say Canon and lighting specialist is what really my two things. So you know, I've been writing the blog now for the best part of nine years. Um, there's I've just recently got, I realized I'd cracked through over 700 article, uh, blog posts. And, wow, congrats. you know, that's a whole body of work. And that means it I've is. probably covered most of the things in a camera. However, new cameras come along and there's a mm-hmm. new feature or a new functionality. And often for me, partly because of the training work I do, I find it necessary to really get into understanding when might that feature or capability be useful and how could I use it? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. the instruction manuals definitely will tell you, go to here, set this option to four, and this will this will turns it on. Okay, but that doesn't help photographers know no when to use it and, right. and what it's going to do for them. And so that's what I try to provide, a kind of like a, conver- a conversion between manual speak and the real world. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, just based on what you've been able to do here with us, with us for flashes, I'd say that's a pretty good conversion. Um, you've simplified it quite a bit. Thank you very much. 
So thank you. So thank you for your time. Is there anything else you wanted to to share with us before we wrap up? I think that I think that's probably it. I mean, obviously, I, you can find me on my website. You'll find there's a, a number of training courses and workshops that I deliver with a few other companies, particularly in the UK. But I'm always mm-hmm. open to travel. Um, and you know, I hope that people take something from today. And even if you that means you go and find that flash gun you bought years ago, put in a drawer. You go and get some AA batteries, put it in there. And just start to get some sense of how that can make you produce a result in a situation where otherwise you'd simply go, I can't get a good result here. Right, right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate your time and and the expertise here. This has been quite helpful. You're welcome. That brings us to the end of another episode, and I'm hoping that was helpful for you and that you were inspired to go take out the speed lights and, like Brian said, put a couple double A's in them and put them to work. Now, if you were inspired by Brian, I'll have links to his work, his page, and some of his training. You can find that all on eosphotographer.com. And just a reminder to you, you can find any of the past episodes at eosphotographer.com forward slash archives. And while you're there, if you haven't subscribed yet, take a second and do so. eosphotographer.com forward slash subscribe. That way you'll make sure you don't miss any of the great episodes like this when they come out. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for learning with us. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'll be back again next week with another episode. Until then, let's go create something amazing with our cameras. Take care.